0: I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not here to tell you what you need. And if you need someone to tell you how to feel or how to get something perfect, you're not going to get that from me.
1: Welcome to the Our Nature Podcast with me, Alyssa Benjamin. Our Nature explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world the opportunity to live a more joyful and harmonious existence is available to each of us right in this very moment. So join me and let's rediscover what comes naturally. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast. My name is Alyssa Benjamin, and I'm a Back to Nature guide, intuitive coach, and host of this podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to share a story from my childhood that came to mind recently when I was visiting my parents in Florida this week. When I was little, I'd say like between three and six years old, anytime I had a splinter that needed to be removed, I would have a complete meltdown. I'm talking, screaming, crying, really freaking the F out. Mind you, this breakdown would happen before my parents attempted to remove the splinter, before any pain was felt. And it would go on and on and on until finally I would look away, they would pull it out, and I'd be astonished at how little it actually hurt. You see, I was reacting in anticipation of the discomfort. I was so fearful of the unknown and I didn't have skills for coping with what might happen with the pain and discomfort I might feel. Though that story is about a splinter, it's also about life. In my case, I spent most of my life suffering from anxiety and worry about the unknown. I was constantly ruminating about all of the negative things that could happen in the future, and I had no tools to self-soothe, no tools to let go of this excessive thinking and bring myself back to the present moment, which was predominantly safe. Eckhart Tolle talks about this prison of the mind when he says, one of the greatest human addictions is our addiction to thinking, which creates so much suffering. So what's a cure for this addiction? What frees us from self-induced suffering? The answer is presence, or as Eckhart explains, a space of no thought, a state of non-thinking, just being, something that takes practice. In my own journey of recovering from excessive thinking and the anxiety and depression that often followed, I found nature to be the best place to practice a growing awareness of the present moment. When we're in nature, it is easier to be in our sense perceptions and therefore in presence. Because here's the truth, everything that happens happens in the present. When we're present, we can come back home we can touch what's real and therefore trustworthy. When we fixate on the past or the future, we're trying to hold on to something that doesn't exist. We're trying to control something that we can't possibly control. As Eckhart says, the future, the worry, the regret, the anxiety, these are all mental events that do not have to be part of the difficulty of life. These can be transcended here and now. This is why I'm so passionate about guiding people back to nature. This is why I'm currently getting my forest therapy training. I love giving people the tools to be in their sense perceptions and feel presence, even if only for a few brief moments. My course Homecoming, which is a four-day retreat in Ojai, California, and a six-week course, is full of nature immersion and opportunities to practice being in the now you'll not only directly experience the joy and freedom that arise when you can be in your body and in your senses in any given moment, but I'll then teach you ways to return again and again when you find yourself trapped in thought. This is truly the most powerful thing you can learn, and we're going to learn it together during homecoming. I'm almost sold out of spots. I have a couple left, and I actually can't take more because we only have so many beds on the retreat. So if you're hearing this and ready to free yourself from thought addiction, I'll leave a link in the show notes where you can apply. It's a short two-question application that should take you less than five minutes. And if you sound like a good fit, I'll reach out to hop on an exploratory call so we can see if Homecoming has what you're looking for. That's all for me for now. I'd love to get right into this week's guest. This week I'm speaking with Regina Rock, a powerful breathwork teacher and healer who uses many modalities including yoga, tarot, Ayurveda, and movement practices to help people in their spiritual journeys. Regina knows firsthand what the healing path requires. They say, quote, It was through great discomfort, emotional upheaval, and a lot of self-loathing that I came to this life of offering up ways for people to heal through connection to their bodies. Their work is an invitation and they truly believe that you can and should decide what is right for you in any given moment. In this conversation, we discuss Regina's relationship with nature as a child, the experience that connected Regina to the natural world, What brought Regina to Ayurveda? Regina's healing journey, what it's been and what it is now. Why healing is layered and more complex for some people than others. What breath work has brought to Regina's life. And advice for people looking to cultivate more awareness when it comes to breathing deeply and more fully. What I really appreciate about Regina is how real they are about what healing has looked like and continues to look like for them. I really trust a guide who is continuously growing and evolving, who doesn't pretend like they have it all figured out, and that is Regina. So let's dive into my conversation with Regina Rock. well, Regina. I am so happy to be speaking with you, and I have followed your work for quite some time. I think I actually first heard of you through a friend of mine, Helen Phelan. Um and i I think maybe you did something with her on her Instagram or anyways, I found out about you. I saw that you were connected to Ayurveda, that you had studied Ayurveda. And that was very exciting to me because um, I always say I'm like a lifelong student. I feel like we all are. If you start down that path, you know, the more you know, the Definitely. less you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you feel yes. that too. But um, so it was just very exciting for me to see because I actually don't have a very large community of people that I know that study Ayurveda because I didn't the way that I did it was kind of an, an informal and a bit different um, so far. So it was just very exciting for me to first see that, and then I've continued to follow your work and your evolution. And um, we're going to talk about all of those things because I know you recently transitioned from wolf medicine magic. Was it wolf medicine magic yes. to rock body, which is really cool? So we're going to get into all of that, but. Um, the first, I always ask a question at the beginning about people's relationship with nature or with the natural world or with the earth. It's interesting, the word nature, I've been in my own learning journey, have been um, thinking about that a lot because I guess by like the formal definition, it excludes humans, even though we know that that's not really what we are in nature. But anyways, your relationship with the earth. Um, I would love to hear, what was that like for you as a child?
0: Oh, no connection at all. (laughs) I grew up in Texas. Interestingly enough, hated heat, hated being outside, was definitely keep me inside in the air conditioning, watching TV. That has drastically shifted since then. I had no connection whatsoever. I did not like to get dirty. I still don't. Did not like to get sweaty. There was like, I I thought of outside as just heat and humidity that makes me miserable. That was my connection Mm -hmm. to nature for years, a really long time. And then Ayurveda, that heat and humidity and that agitation is what led me to Ayurveda. And I have a completely different relationship to being outside, and the sun and heat is actually what fills me up the most and brings me the most joy. Yeah, that pitta heat was striking hot from day one.
1: Are you pitta predominant?
0: Yes. I mean, vata is a close, close second, but yeah. I mean, you you spend an afternoon with me. It's very (laughs) obvious.
1: Well, I'll, I'll I'll get a little taste of it as well. I mean, I, I think I'm Vata Pitta. Um, mm-hmm. And often I have a Pitta imbalance right now. And for those who are listening who are like, what in the what are they talking about? We will get into it. So don't worry. But um, I've been dealing with a Pitta imbalance for the last few years. And um, my Ayurvedic uh, doctor has said it's uh, Vata pushing Pitta. So that's also very interesting because there's the subdoshas that then will throw off. Um, so, anyways, we will get into that. But um, I'm curious then to hear what when did that shift for you? When did you begin to form that connection with nature? Because I also I often think that if we didn't have that as a child or maybe in, in a way that felt familiar to us, it actually is harder and harder as an adult to return back because our society is constantly sending us signals that that's, you shouldn't do that, even though that's the very thing that is often the most balancing. So I'd love to hear from you. At, you know, at what point did you feel, it might not have even been conscious, but did you feel that you... Shifted your relationship with the earth in a more intentional way.
0: I would say, let's see. I would say, like maybe six or seven years into living here in New York. I I was here, and then I left for grad school. Then it came back, so I just find like the middle ground. So I say I've been here since like two thousand five. So it's it's been a while. I would say it was here like six or seven years. Till I started going to the beach more often. And they're not even beautiful, wonderful, pristine beaches, but you gotta take what you can get here. (laughs) And I started to realize, like, oh well, winter really does a number on me. I am so much more grateful for sun and warmth and heat and the longer days. I distinctly remember moving in with a good friend of mine. We're still good friends in 2012. And we started going to the beach a lot more often because there's a queer beach here, Reese Beach. It's very well known. It's been known as the queer beach for a very long time. It has an amazing history. If anyone listening wants to look into it, Jacob Reese Beach has a very rich history for the queer community. So that was like a fun space to be in. But also I was like, oh, yes. This is my happy place. This is the place that lights me up. This is what I need, sand, ocean, heat. And then that really, uh, along that time, I was also looking into Ayurveda and studying it formally. So I, ever since then, have been so much more aware of the love of spring here, the thawing of winter noticing how i feel physically mentally emotionally during winter here and then like appreciating summer and it, it's so interesting because i was born in july i am a cancer sun mars and mercury scorpio rising there's so much water in my chart how did i not know until my late 20s that i would love summer so much so yeah i distinctly remember that summer with him like noticing like, oh yeah, I need to like take more time to just appreciate summer here. And, uh, I would say my relationship to living in the city is a, it's a fraught one. It's the most difficult relationship I've had living here because I think it is karmic that I choose to stay here, but it's, it's getting harder and harder because I do see people mostly online these days going on hikes and stuff. And I would be, and I'm thinking, there's no hiking for me. I'm I'm like in a concrete jungle. So I love that question. And I love talking about how much I love like warmth and dry heat is my favorite. People tell me, they're like, your your personality changes when you start talking about how much you love heat.
1: (laughs) I like that. That's really cool. I mean, I used to live in New York for about 10 years. So, and so I can really relate to that feeling of I mean, it's an island. I mean, there, there's, well, Manhattan's an island, and then Brooklyn, I mean, there's, it's surrounded by water. It's not easy. If you're in Brooklyn, you have to then go, I believe, into Manhattan, and then to get out of the city and, and go hiking, I guess, unless, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's not an easy process, and I felt like I started to really struggle with that, and you find those little places that you can connect in but it's definitely not the same because the the noise of the city often even if you're in a natural space you can hear the noise of the jackhammers or construction mm-hmm. or the cars and and everything like that and now I live in LA and I do notice that it is easier to access nature but for me the heat is the thing that is challenging for me. The dry heat, I would say humidity. Ooh, ooh, I'll take it. (laughs) Give me the humidity. I feel good. I come alive in the humidity. Um, But yeah, it's, it's different for everyone, which we'll get into. I want to, I would love to hear more about uh, Ayurveda and how you found it. I, I would, Maybe I'll say how it found you because that's how I feel like Ayurveda comes to people most of the time. Um, so, how did it find you? When did when did you decide to go down that route and study it?
0: This is a story I tell time and time again, and uh, it still lights me up to talk about it. I was in my late twenties, experiencing major aggravated Pitta eczema, burning itching eczema. And I remember telling someone this story a couple of weeks ago when it reached my face, I was done. Like I, it was, I hated it. It was so uncomfortable. And I'd always kind of dabbled in using or being interested. I didn't do, I didn't act on it, but I was always interested in people hearing from people who had used food to heal themselves, herbs, etc. having this horrible eczema. I was at a meeting unrelated to anything Ayurvedic, and someone was reading a book about healing your body and your skin. Dr. Pratima's pretty well known book, Absolute Beauty. Oh, yes. She has a clinic here. Yes. And like I was supposed to be paying attention, I was like an assistant to someone running an organization. And the whole meeting, I was looking at that book, I wasn't even doing my job. <laughs> Loved the book, went home, ordered it, got it, read it all the way through that week, and then just started learning or trying trying to get even more information, like what is at the root of this. And even to this day, there's it's so much more than just like an aggravated pitta vata, has something to do with it also. And just the environment I'm in, past... Karmic Mm -hmm. (laughs) choices to just like go and go and go all day and not eat a decent meal till like 3 p.m. has a lot to do with it. So I wasn't finding enough information. There was no Instagram at this point. There were definitely like Ayurvedic clinics on Facebook, but they weren't really offering up a lot of info. So I just had to do like a big deep dive to find programs that didn't require me to up in my upend my life and move for two three years. So Kripalu's program, it was pretty close, relatively easy to get to, done in modules. So I was back and forth from 2013 to 2014, doing their Ayurvedic wellness counselor program. And it was, as you said, it was an amazing program, made lifelong friends, but it, as I've learned, was like scratching the Mm -hmm. surface. So I completed that program in 2014 and I've learned so much since then. And I still like am learning like you, like eczema still (laughs) rears its ugly head every now and then, but I've. I've been thinking a lot about things I did to my body in my teens and twenties that led up to this time. So yeah. And then I I don't beat myself up like 17 year old me didn't realize what like mid thirties me. And now that I'm 40, like what has improved, I used to have really oily skin that broke out all the time around 35 that like dip into Vata season of life, like as I've gotten older, mm-hmm. I'm noticing it even more like things are drying up, but it actually feels good because I'm like, oh, finally, my skin is not so oily. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, some things have gotten better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And for those who I'd love to, for you to share it, Um, but for those who, hopefully, if you've been listening to my podcast, we talk about Ayurveda a lot, <laughs> so and I had my Ayurvedic teacher on, Dr. Baswati Bhattacharya, so hopefully you've heard that. But if you haven't, if you're totally new to the podcast and totally new to Ayurveda, I will share what Ayurveda is just like one sentence. And then I'd love for you to talk about what Vata, Pitta, Kapha are for those who just have heard us say these terms and are are sitting there thinking, I have no idea what they're saying. So Ayurveda is a 5000-year-old life science. It originated in ancient India. Um it's um considered one of the oldest if not the oldest life science in the world and it uh predates Chinese medicine and a lot of Chinese medicine drew from Ayurveda and they're they're very similar. So it's really nice because when I I speak with people who are, have a background in Chinese medicine, it's nice to kind of map the two. There's obviously differences, but um, they they are very similar. And so Regina, for those people who are hearing these terms Vata, Pitta, Kapha and don't know what those are, would you share what those are for people?
0: Yes, so in Ayurvedic philosophy, there is a concept that shows it it basically informs the philosophy that we, us humans, everything on earth is made up of the elements of ether, air, fire, water, and earth. Ether, another way to think of it, is space, because some people don't know the difference between like space and air, but ether, air, fire, water, earth, again, they show up within our bodies, our personalities, the environment around us. So there's seasons, but also people, (laughs) vata, pitta, and kapha. So here in New York, we're very much in vata season, winter, that's ether and air. Come in spring, we have kapha season, water and earth, summer is pitta season, and it's fire and water. Fall is also vata season, so again, that ether and air, so your body can hold all three of these equally. You can be born that way, or you can be born with a dominance of usually two out of the three. So, you know, your listeners, if you want to find me on Instagram, you'll see me, (laughs) my body type, how I look is very Vata, smaller person, shorter, smaller, But my personality and a lot of the health issues I experience are textbook, pitta, textbook. So that being said, and there are ways to learn. I actually recommend that people go to an Ayurvedic doctor for a consultation to really and truly understand their Ayurvedic makeup, vata, pitta, kapha. I I do know people, I can tell they've done a bit of research, but... Sometimes what you find on Pinterest or your, or even Instagram is very surface level. I always tell people about Vata Pitta Kafa, but I then follow it up with, "Remember, all exists within us." So I don't have a lot of Kafa. I'm not the most chill, relaxed, slow person, but there's an element of that within me, and I definitely always try to cultivate it. It's hard. I need those reminders. So yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely Pitta Vata for sure.
1: Hearing the way you talked about that, because it was so simple for people to understand. and yeah, to to second what Regina said around, you know, there are all these quizzes online that you can take. But the thing about that is often, we might, I mean, I am, you've mentioned it. like we might have an imbalance that has been with us for a while. So when you take that test, for example, you might be like, well, I, I guess I'm like right now I have a Pitta imbalance that I've been working with and there's many reasons for that imbalance too. Um, and, you know, I might be like, well, I guess I'm Pitta, <laughs> but I'm not. And so there's a there's basically a difference between what Regina was saying around like your predominant doshas, which doshas are the vata pitta kapha that you are born with, and that doesn't change in your lifetime, and the current imbalance that you're experiencing. So it's always best to go see an Ayurvedic practitioner who can read your pulse and really feel what's true. Um, Because again, Ayurveda is very complex, and um, I think having the, the, the full scope of the knowledge is is important especially if you're dealing with a certain issue. I'd love to hear a bit more about so you mentioned you were struggling with really bad eczema and then you studied ayurveda and you know as as you mentioned in ayurveda when we have an imbalance there are, there can be so many reasons for that that aren't just, maybe it's physical, maybe it's karmic, maybe it's emotional. What was that healing journey like for you? And I'm curious, not only, I mean, I want to hear how you like physically healed, but what was the emotional components of letting go of the eczema or kind of like working with the eczema? Because I do feel that that's part of what healing is, even if it's physical.
0: It was long and hard for sure. I definitely wouldn't say I'm like fully healed because seasonal patches flare up. But that being said, there are some things I do that like nip it in the bud immediately. So it's definitely improved significantly. I would say that letting it go has taken years, years, And I can't say there's any one thing that helped. I think letting a lot of me realizing that like getting upset, if there's a flare up on my face is just rooted in like misogyny and, and like heteronormativity and capitalism, like wanting to look good. And then when I like quit caring what like a man would think that actually is very freeing, extremely freeing because I'm like, I don't, I'm actually not trying to impress because I feel like if you trace back, like what you don't like about your physical body, you can say like, I don't look like the ideal. Well, the ideal is usually through like a straight man's gaze and capitalism wants us to like spend money to improve these things. And then that's, it's like so easy for me to be like, Fuck you guys. I'm not going to play into your games. Like, then I get that, like, pit of heat is very defiant. So, that played a major, major role in it. And I mean, I have to admit, getting older, I really just care. Like, it, it, it I care less. It's, I'm not saying nothing bothers me, but the stuff that, is on my mind every day, just the stuff that is leading me towards big picture life, happiness. And I was saying this to my partner. I've said this so many times. I cannot, I believe confidence cannot be like taught to someone. People have to find it themselves. They really do. I was born with a lot of confidence and a lot of like, um, yeah, like I'm not gonna conform to a certain extent. So I was already born with that. And then it's just like gotten more refined and focused as I've gotten older. One of the biggest things that helped me was veering away from like a very restrictive Pitta diet Mm -hmm. to actually eating like a way more variety of foods, incorporating just in seasonal eating helped a lot. I have to say also a pared down schedule since 2020 has helped that vata part of me get way way more grounded, which I needed. One of the hardest things about my life in the past 10 years is not having a schedule of very routine basically because i was teaching a lot of yoga and fitness classes up until 2020 that had me just burnt out physically i was teaching like four classes a day five days a week and i think that really did a number on my body so when i started having to stay home more in 2020 up until this point things shifted a lot and it was exactly what i needed i was do i always tell people ayurvedically speaking do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that take me a lot of time to incorporate into my daily life that when I do a personal session with someone, I'm like, try your best to get this, start this today. Whereas, um, yeah, some of the habits to keep eczema in check is just like, it's taken me a while to like finally jump on board with it because I just had such a Not chaotic, but a very scattered life, just doing a lot physically that was just, like I said, really not good for my physical health at all. It was a lot of, yeah, jumping around, lifting weights, Mm -hmm. many classes in a row. So it's been a number of things to help me get into this like better place. Mm
1: -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that though, because I think sometimes when, someone or when we or when I, um, anyone listening who is dealing with some type of imbalance, physical imbalance or mental imbalance that's causing them suffering, it it can feel really like we all might consciously know, well, if I do these things, I'll feel better. But our subconscious isn't ready or we need to work through some layer to get there. And I know f- I can speak for myself and I can't speak for everyone listening, but I know that people could relate to this probably around like for my healing journey. Cause I too have had this like very long, I mean, I'm still in it. Um, healing journey with my digestion and, um, it's been a process for me to... I, my conscious mind wanted to feel better, but I was still holding on to being sick, like the identity of being sick. And that seems kind of weird to people maybe because it's like, well, why would why would you want that? But there's many reasons why for whatever, you know, for whatever karmic situation or whatever... Um, circumstances we had in the past like we can kind of um again unconsciously like hold on to that state or like being in that place and we it takes time to work through and so i appreciate you sharing that because i think that's a natural part of what healing is if it were super easy and if we could just do these like five things you know people would heal a lot quicker, but it's a lot more complicated than that. And I think it's probably helpful for people to hear that that has been your path as well.
0: I completely agree. I mean, I had people telling me, oh, I just took vitamin D. My psoriasis cleared up, my eczema cleared up or um like some other supplements people are like all i needed was probiotics i know people like certain things cleared right up and i was like i've taken every brand right. under the sun <laughs> there is way more than taking this supplement for me personally i think i was holding on to my lifestyle mm-hmm. like i need to teach all these classes and just hustle 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 that's a huge part to me of uh, living here I know some people who don't buy into it know, but uh, sustaining yourself here can be really difficult here in New York. And so I definitely was attached to, I I just have to just like keep going, going, going. And like, I'll I'll work on my health, like on the weekends when I have some time off, like that's kind of what was my lifestyle for a really long time.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can relate to that too. And we also, you know, we again, don't have a society that, that supports, especially anyone who is not like, well, I wouldn't even say a white man. (laughs) I was going to say anyone who's not a white man, but I would also say like our medical system is so messed up that I don't even know if it supports a white man putting their health first. Um, so yeah, I think we're, the message we're given is like the more productive you are, the more valuable you are, so yes. and yes. at the expense of everything, maybe including your health. Yes, um,
0: I completely agree.
1: You do so many things. This is this this might be your pit nature, though, too, <laughs> because you are certified in Ayurveda, breathwork, yoga, tarot, bar classes. I know you are a dancer. What would you say? is the common thread in all of these or how would you describe how these offerings come together for you?
0: All about connection to the body. For me, I love movement, almost all kinds. There's a few things where I'm like, I have zero interest in doing that, like competitive sport, like basketball and stuff. Like, no, but, um, I love dance. I love, I love like a good, like, quote unquote sculpt class or a toning class. I love using heavyweights. I love using lightweights, all of the props, bands, ropes, like all of it. And I think that's just my I st- my mom put me in dance classes when I was three years old. I went on to college, got a BFA, extended that into an MFA in dance. like I've just been moving my body sometimes at a period in my life, hours a day. So, and then I wanted to just know more, like when my body was doing things I didn't want it to do. I, that's when like a spiritual practice came in and I learned like a lot of frustration comes up when you can't control your body. I think there's many people who can relate to that. So they, I think that's one, like it really is an integrated approach. I approach a breathwork session. I love to do group sessions. I haven't done it since early 2020, but I look forward to it. I love being in a huge room of people doing breathwork. Same thing when I go to yoga. Uh, I love a packed class as an instructor. I see frustration when people come into the room and it's mat to mat, and that's not for them. Whereas I, Love it! It it's can't wait. Every movement practice that I do, Ayurveda informs it. Yeah, when I'm too hot in the room, I do a shitali breath, cool myself down. I will take in deeper breaths. They're not separate at all. Ayurveda informs me every single day. I may not share it in private sessions all day long every day. But for me, it shows up. And even when I know I'm not supposed to be having a ton of coffee, I at least am aware <laughs> this is probably going to do things to me that, I, that I'll regret. But just, you know, sometimes things like that. So um, I just love to move. I love exploring movement. I love being in any sort of class where something new to me is introduced so and it keeps my vata mind very focused. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it's um, you know it doesn't. Oh, I don't always share with a class an ayurvedic element to the class, but in my mind, those thoughts are coming to me mm-hmm. for sure.
1: Sounds like everything is about embodiment, and which is is the way. To presence, um which I believe is the way to happiness, <laughs> so kind of is like the thread that keeps um going, and I wanted to spend some time talking about breath work because that is something that I know you're really passionate about, and um, for those of you who are not following Regina on Instagram, you should. And I'll leave your handle in the show notes. Do you lead Instagram? I would say community breathwork sessions. Is that how you would describe it? Um,
0: I, I yeah, IG live, IG but live, feel like breathwork a community, uh, yeah,
1: which I I think is so generous. And breathwork is just not something that I know too much about. I've done some breathwork. Mm. Um, But can you share for you how you came to find it for yourself and a bit about what it's brought to you in terms of your own
0: transformation? My experience was in a large group and I was actually in high school. I'll give you the very short version, but I had a teacher in high school who was extremely spiritual and devoted to several different practices. And this was done outside of school. Knowing what I know now and thinking about the things that the woman said, it was very much someone coming from like the holotropic technique. They're all kind of the same to me. Uh, We did the, I I believe it was only two parts. It was mouth open, like I teach now, and it it was breathe into the belly, then exhale from what I remember. This was over 20 years ago, so my memory is a bit foggy, but it was sustained pattern of breathing with the mouth open inhale exhale to some drumming music which I know people to this day like still that that's also reflective of what they do a drumming pattern and I think we did like 35 minutes or so and then then she had us like draw which I believe is also holotropic like color a picture of like what you saw and then I didn't do it again for years years over 10 years. It wasn't till around um, 2008, I was kind of dabbling in it, trying to go, but life kind of, I was, I was, I like partied a lot in my twenties and that was fun. So like breath work, sometimes I wasn't up in time to make it on a Sunday, (laughs) but then I got my act together. (laughs) Yeah. And came back to it. So in 2016, that's when I got very serious and very devoted. And it was always, again, groups. I wasn't doing online sessions And liked it and loved it enough to want to get a training. So it's not a very like, it's not like there's like a board of certification. It's basically people who've learned the practice and met and, you know, done it for years. And then they start offering training. So that's basically what it was learning about like how to hold space for people really great lesson in listening as like a Pitta Vata person, learning a lot about just like sitting and being with people and listening and witnessing, which I always appreciate lessons in that. So then 2017 I started leading large groups and that's what I love the most 2020 I had to pivot. Everything's online, but I would say what I love about it the most is for for me, it is a shedding, a returning to myself, and most importantly, reminding me what's important. I can, like I said, get very caught up in just like daily hustle of life. And I got to accomplish these things, take care of these emails, get back to this person, teach these classes. And weeks of that really kind of get me disconnected. I do a daily movement practice of some kind, usually I lift weights, that sort of thing, but. I always need that reminder to like get out of my head. And that's what breathwork is for me. It's like a movement practice does feel very healing and I feel very fulfilled, but I have to like add an extra layer to it. And breathwork really helps me clear out my head and remind me of more important goals. Again, like what's most important. So I have to say at this point, I miss being in person with people so much. So I'm so ready for getting back to like the larger groups and feeling safe. So I don't have to, you know, be paranoid the whole time about getting sick. So Mm -hmm. I'm willing to be patient, but there's just something about being in person with a group that I haven't been able to replicate online but the community, many people have found me in the past couple of years and they've really wanted to investigate like using their breath to connect to their consciousness mm-hmm. so i'm always excited about that
1: As someone who hasn't done it that much, when I have done it, it's it's not an easy, I found, and again, I don't know exactly what kind I've done, but it's not an easy practice, at least for me. I, it, it almost feels like I can't breathe at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I can't take a breath, and it's like I feel exhausted, and it's like working through that resistance, And it gets a little easier if you can work through that hump when you feel almost Mm -hmm. like you can't breathe or it's not – you can't get in the flow. And then Mm -hmm. it's like sort of the body takes over in a way. But it's not comfortable. At least that's what I've experienced. And so – and partly it's because – I don't think I'm breathing very much in my day-to-day mm-hmm. life, which mm-hmm. most of us probably aren't taking deep breaths in the way that we are. We're kind of living up in our chest and, and holding. Yeah, And yeah. so what would you say to someone who maybe like me, when they go through it, it feels very uncomfortable. Does it get easier over time I mean, that's probably why I should be doing it more because clearly I'm not breathing very much. Um, yeah, so I'd love to hear about that.
0: You're you're not alone. I've definitely worked with people who say the same things. I always encourage people, first of all, start slow, but that exhaustion and being tired is very real. It's a it's some work to keep that pattern of breathing into your belly and your chest and exhaling over and over and over again is very tiring. I don't resist the tiredness. Also, I I go with it. I'm like, Oh, I'm getting tired. I want to stop. But then I know that I can transcend that and move into another place. I believe it's only going to get easier if you want to stick with it. I think the people who have the not best experience from what I've witnessed, uh, don't want to be uncomfortable. think for some reason they're not supposed to feel tired. And so they're just like, this isn't working. I'm tired. And I'm just like, how about you don't put a bad label on that? Mm-hmm. Like I get tired too. I've fallen asleep many times. I think when I finally do get in a huge group of people, I'm going to be so excited. I can't imagine falling asleep, but like, yeah, I fall asleep, but then I'll just wake up and get back into it. But The people who don't want to be uncomfortable, not, I'm not talking physically, but like mentally, this is boring. I don't want to be here. That sort of thing. Like I, sometimes it takes a turn and they decide they love it. But sometimes they're just like, I never want to do this again. I'm very much someone who doesn't, I'm not here to convince anyone of anything. I'm not here to tell you how you should be doing something. Uh, What I mean by is like, I'm not here to, tell you what to do. I'm not here to tell you what you need. And if you need someone to tell you how to feel or how to get something perfect, you're not going to get that from me. You should definitely maybe seek that out from someone else. But if you came to me and said, like, maybe I should be doing this more, I would say like, you should do what you feel you need deep down. Mm -hmm. Like I can't, I, you know, sometimes I do, if you're my good friend I definitely be like, you need to dump him. Yeah. Like, I, you will get that <laughs> advice from me. Tea.
1: Yeah, to someone's. But when you come
0: to Re- Regina for a private breathwork session, I am going to leave that space open for you to identify what you need from that session. And just that there can switch things. People who don't even know what they need, I see having a harder time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've often, I mean, that's, that basically sums up what, um, the spiritual journey is in a way, which is, uh, it's allowing the feelings to be there without judgment and like without attaching stories. Like that's basically Mm -hmm. what we're here to do. And it's not, not having any feelings or emotions. It's just like letting them be what they are and experiencing them in a neutral space. So um, I think that definitely resonates. Another thing that I did notice is that when I have done breath work, and I think this is probably the experience for a lot of people, things move, emotions move Mm -hmm. very rapidly through the body. And I, sometimes walked away and then like an anger will arise Mm -hmm. you know maybe Mm -hmm. like 20 minutes after I end the session I'll like realize that I have like so much anger coming out or sadness or so can you can you say more about that and yeah what that that what's happening there when those emotions are coming up
0: I mean, a scientific explanation, why does doing this breath make me possibly cry for an hour after? I have no idea. I can't tell you. As someone who's facilitated many groups and my own experience with feelings, I can tell you that it takes practice to recognize, acknowledge but not allow emotions to consume you. If you're afraid to feel feelings, I don't think breathwork alone is going to help you process that. I wish we all had access to quality mental health care because I think that would help someone significantly. As someone, and I do think astrology does play a big role, as someone who is in a lifetime of feeling feelings so much, I feel... And I go deep into them. Cancer, Scorpio, rising. I mean, it's there. With an Aries moon. So I can just like have (laughs) fire and all of it. So I'm there to say like, I'm going to create a space that feels as safe and also full of boundaries as possible. I can't guarantee anything, but I'm going to try my best. But I'm also going to leave it up to you to know like when to stop. And some people do stop when you feel you can keep going. I think where I say like a mental health professional can help is like, I personally love to cry. I do it all the time. I don't think it's bad. I never feel bad for crying. I feel anger quick and sharp. I do get mad at myself for like letting people see it and like what I do get mad about, but the older I've gotten, the more I acknowledge, like I am embarrassed, but I'm also going to just pop off right now because I'm pissed. So I think what's challenging for me and what's fun about what I do is, is trying to help. I I want so much for people to feel okay, feeling feelings, but I'm not, I'm not a trained therapist. So I try to prepare them as much as possible before we start. I want people to know I'm not, again, I'm not here to tell you how to feel or what you need out of this session, So we're going to write about it or I'll have them lie there and acknowledge what are my intentions. If uncomfortable feelings come up or I'm going to cry and I don't want to stop at any time, but also know that like, you're not being judged right now. If you cry, I, I, um, do, do what you need. I'm going to, as long as you're keeping your body, yourself safe and the others around you, it's fine. So again, I don't have a scientific explanation as to why some things can happen during the session emotionally or afterwards, but I encourage people, I just always come back to, like, why are you here? What are you looking to explore? And then see what happens. I had one session, a group session, that afterwards I was so pissed off. And I just kept acknowledging I'm mad and it's probably some stuff that happened. By the time I got home, I had chilled out a bit. Oh my God. I was so angry. I would rather feel tears dripping down my face than the kind of rage that did feel all consuming. It felt very intense. And so, but I have the, I've learned some tools over the years to not like take it out on anyone. Mm -hmm. So there's in the end, it's you know, it's up to people how willing to dive in mm-hmm. they are. Like, I never want to do breath work with someone who tells me, like, just keep going, or you gotta like push yourself. I don't want to take like a CrossFit class where someone tells me that, and I don't want to take a breathwork class. I know like where my limits and my boundaries, and I already know that walking in. And that's how it is when I lead sessions. I don't tell anyone to just like keep pushing through a bad memory or having, I want you to stop, literally like roll over on your side, curl up and fall asleep if that's what you need. And I've seen many people do that. And I've also had people like like sit up, grab their journal and start writing, like whatever you need. Again, as long as you're not causing harm to yourself or others or leave. Some people are just like, I hate this. And they walk out. So it's all over the place.
1: And it's everyone's journey, which is nice. You're allowing people to have the journey that they need to have, which I I also think is great. I have one more question before we get into my last segment, which is called the last five questions. But thinking about you know this idea of like our bodies are made of the elements around us you know they're also within us and one of the ways that i think people can have a really profound connection to the earth and to the natural world is through breath we're breathing in the air and you know it's it's what sustains our life and as someone who holds their breath all the time uh and i i bet if we if people listening if we uh if people listening start to pay some attention to it you might discover you're also holding your breath it's not i mean obviously i'm not completely because i'm alive right now but but it's you know that kind of like tension and sort of that constriction in the chest and and not breathing as deeply so do you have any tips or just anything that you would say for someone like myself or others who are looking to have, you know, a a closer relationship to their breath, and um, even just cultivate more awareness of that part of their body,
0: I, th- I think you just said it: more awareness. I'm always thinking about breathing deep into my belly, always, and as much as possible when I'm not doing breath work in and out through my nose. Like at night, I sleep with my mouth closed. Once maybe a vigorous walk starts to get my heart rate up, I want to breathe in and out through my mouth. But I'm always, I mean, throughout the day, I'll take moments of a belly breath in and out through my nose so I don't make it. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm set up to fail if I like set aside 30 minutes every morning and I'm just going to breathe deeply. I'll stick with that for a day, not even. So I incorporate it throughout my day and definitely a movement practice, whether it's a yoga class or an online bar class or one of those like toning, sculpting classes that's when i notice it the most and that's because i know connection to my breath can help me get through the class i can go long periods without doing cardio and get into a pretty vigorous class and be okay because i've like practiced it can i do full out in a hit class its an hour i'll probably maybe have to take some breaks but I notice a huge difference in when I wasn't so conscious of breath, when I would do a more vigorous practice and I'd be so out of breath. And now when like, yeah, jumping jacks, burpees, I can find a pace and stick with it and make it through the class. So start to be aware without judging and incorporate into that awareness. Okay. Oh yeah. I'm noticing shallow breaths. Okay. Let me breathe into my belly. Hmm. <sighs> I also notice belly breaths have gotten easier and easier and easier. That chest breathing that you were mentioning is where most people go to. I notice this a lot when I teach, take a deep breath into your belly and people breathe up into their chest. And then I'll say, put your hand on your belly and breathe into your hand. For some people, they get it. Some people, Mm -hmm. they're still breathing up into their chest. So it's practice, but... I think if people start to get like really hung up on, am I doing this right? They're not going to really, they're just going to be like in their heads about it and probably not stick with any sort of practice because they want to be perfect to get it right mm-hmm. quickly.
1: It sounds like it's about bringing curiosity and yes, um, yes. to your experience. Uh, I think that's a perfect note to end on. I have a segment that I call the last five questions that is a rapid fire round. Are you ready for the last five questions?
0: I am. I remember one of them from <laughs> great listening to That's a the past point It's to catch
1: you off guard and <laughs> <laughs> have you just say whatever feels right in the moment. So, Regina, what is your favorite place in nature?
0: The desert
1: What is the animal? mineral, or plant that resonates with you the most? A dolphin. What is one thing we can do right now to connect with the natural world and bring more harmony to our lives?
0: Notice the, the feelings, the textures of the environment around you and see if you can incorporate that into your day.
1: What is the greatest lesson nature has taught you? Humility. Complete this sentence Nature brings me.
0: Grounding.
1: Thank you. This conversation felt grounding to me. Taking those breaths was very helpful with you. Nice. So. Me too. Hello again. If you're hearing my voice, congratulations. You've made it to the end of my conversation with the very special Regina Rock. I hope you feel like you can trust your healing path more after hearing Regina speak about theirs. That's all from me this week. See you on the internet or on the trail. So long. You just listened to an episode of the Our Nature podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay curious, and I'll see you next week.